0: Hey everybody! In today's episode, we're going to give a mashup of section one of my book. I had the opportunity to do a book review, which was really fun for me because I never have done a book review of my own book. It's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing, but I had the opportunity to sit down uh, with over forty plus financial professionals. Some of you guys know this, I have the opportunity to train about the AND asset and our process to financial professionals that want to become endorsed and go through that training. And pre the beta training that we're going through, we had the opportunity to do a book review. And so this this mashup is of some of the highlights from book review section one. This talks about the importance of a Y, E equals MC square, which it the whole AND asset book is based around that concept and then the most efficient way to buy a house and talking also about a whole chapter of efficiencies there's a lot of good nuggets in there it makes you smile and it makes you rethink your thinking and so a couple things if you want to grab a copy of the book you can get this on amazon or you can go to betterwealth.com/vault it's betterwealth.com/vault you can get this for 10 bucks i believe and the cool thing about the vault is it's like the one stop shop for everything and asset we have testimonials. We have over a hundred frequently asked questions. We have a master class. We have a 20 plus crash course series. We have a calculator. We have, we're have. we continuing to add to this and I'm really, really excited. And so if you go to betterwealth.com slash vault, we want to be the one-stop resource for anyone in the market who's either a financial professional or someone who wants to learn more about the AND asset in their own life. We want to be the one stop shop that people go to learn as much as they need to know to gain clarity to see if the AND asset is right for them. So, without further ado, here's some of the highlights of section one of the AND asset. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams.
1: And they're going out infecting others now. And <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm just phone call to phone call, text to text, Zoom to Zoom. Uh, and, you know, what was interesting, when, when we said we were going to go back through the book for the next three weeks. So, I mean, I had read it, but I read it. So I I went back through it with pen and highlighter in hand this time, you know, not just to read it. But to digest it. Yep. And, you know, there's just things in here that start to leap off the page at you that you read through them. Yeah. But you didn't get them in you. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things about what's going to happen here doing the and acid endorsement is people are going to have time to get it in them. Yeah. It, it's not just a quick cursory, and that's what I'm really excited about is to get it in you so that you can then get it out of you. Um, you know, I just think that's the huge part of this. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see the number of people that are on here right now. You know, it's unbelievable. actually 33 people on here live. We told people to be live if you all possibly could. And guys, I just thank you so much for taking the time to invest in yourself. So Caleb, you guys take it away.
0: All right, so I want to give a couple shout outs. Debbie Johnson. I know you're on. There you are. Thank you. Debbie wrote one of the sweetest Amazon reviews. We will find a way to thank you, Debbie. We're going to, we're going to, um, and then is this Scott, Scott B55? I don't know who that is. Um, but if you're on, make yourself known because you want to just say thank you. Um, it's just really like Debbie took a photo and everything. Um, how long, Debbie, how long did it take you to, to write that review? Um, 15 minutes, 10. Okay, well, you're a way better writer than I am. <laughs> that would have been a day project for me. I would have been like, <laughs> no, uh, I
1: was just telling the truth. It was easy, right? It's when you're making up lies, it takes longer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jim. Jim, do you want to say anything, or are you ready to just smash the screen because you're so excited?
1: Well, this is this is my Tom Cruise bat. I think better when I've got a bat in my hand.
0: <laughs> I'm uh, I, intimidating, bro. I, I better I better be on, or I'm gonna. I'm glad you're not in person. Uh, so I'm
1: I'm just um I'm I'm thrilled that um we're starting this training. I've gotten yep. the same feedback from the agents out in the field that they're just so excited about being a part of this and what they're going to learn. And as I've, as I've uh, spoken to more agents this week or people who want to become agents, I just said, this is, this is going to be the game changer in your career. Yep. So you must do this. I'm not giving them a choice. It's like, if you're, you're in,
0: Looks like Jim's so excited, froze. Um, all right, we're gonna we're gonna mute Jim. Okay.
1: Uh, it definitely just, froze because I can't hear him, and I'm in the same room.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, guys, uh, this is this is actually like very special for me, because the the training and conversation that we're gonna have today is the same type of stuff that all of our our head coaches go through. And I I just want you to know, like, that when it comes to like a lot of us, a lot of people come to to me and say, Caleb, like how do you write over a million of premium and all this stuff? And it's it's because at the core in the first three chapters, if you if you have the understanding of this, people will go anywhere with you. Life insurance is just one way that we can help people be more efficient. But if there were some common themes it was the importance of your why. It was to get crystal clear that this is achievable. Is this not true? Like if it's not achievable, if we don't, if we can't give clients hope, what's the point? But then, but then really leaning in and saying, okay, what does efficiency mean? And not just saying efficiency means when you have a life insurance policy. That would like people would be like, okay, go take a hike. No, we we go in and we're like in the trenches when it comes to efficiency. We define efficiency. And then we look at a home example, and the reason why the home example is so, so strategic is the home is like we're not talking about a product. We're talking about something that most of us can relate with. We're talking about efficiency matters, and we're walking through each, each step. And, and again, uh, this is, again, not, not like about life insurance, but indirectly. It has everything to do with the and asset and what we're doing. Um, so, Mariah, my hope is are you seeing people when they come in Can you allow them in? I think I did. I can give you I can give you the same power I do. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Okay. You do? Okay. All right, guys. I am going to start sharing the screen. Is there any questions before we jump in?
1: I don't have a question, but I do have a comment. Amazing. I believe we had five additional people sign up from last week till now. Okay. We had conversations with them and they said, I'm in, let's do it. So you know who you are. Thanks for signing up, and enjoy the show.
0: Amazing. All right. Matt, I, this is your first week here, right? Everyone's internet must be waxed out. Um, Yeah. All right. I'm going to jump in. Amazing. Okay. Do you want to talk into the microphone? yeah all right okay one more time so we're gonna we're gonna be making sure that um this is recorded and and done purposely too for anybody who missed it however um we're going to allow for the presentation to go in its full so if you have any questions or would like to add them to the comments for later please make sure that you enter those into the chat feature And we will make sure that we address them later. That way, Caleb can get through his presentation. And then we will have that chunk for instructional purposes. And then we will do a direct question and answer. And the other thing, Mariah, is if there's questions and you want to interrupt me, go for it. And yeah, guys, type up the questions. And then the hope is that there's going to be time after for us to to review. Um, All right. So going through going through this book and i I, again it it was one of those things where if i'm being honest you guys sometimes you write a book and you're like okay i never want to pick this thing up again like it's cringy and there there are moments if i'm being frank like i'm i'm reviewing this and saying okay in in 2.0 it's not i'm gonna say it a little different or i'm going to do so it's really interesting but but overall i am so grateful that financial freedom was this this concept that, you know, it is very attainable. And we have to have a, an understanding of what does financial freedom even mean? And when when I when we were going through the financial freedom piece, it was it was like, okay, number one, what does Robert Kiyosaki talk about as financial freedom? Like what is the goal? Like why what do people really want? And if you guys remember, in Dallas, I'm talking about cash flow and the importance of cash flow. And the reality is you could be a billionaire, and if you don't have cash flow, I'm sorry, you're not financially free because at the end of the day, last I checked, you you can't um, go out to eat on on a future promise. You can't pay your mortgage on a IOU. You need money, and so when it when it comes to when it comes to those things like cash flow is king, and so financial freedom is based around cash flow coming in, and 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 just like ultimately being able to finance our life. Robert Kiyosaki um, is is noted for his famous equation of saying you are financially independent when you have enough passive income. I don't love the word passive income. We can talk about that later. When you have money coming in that you don't have to work, you have money coming in that finances your lifestyle, finances your expenses. And I don't know about you, but for me, that was like, okay, that is super, like that's something I can, that's attainable. That's attainable. I I will also want you guys to know that the and asset the and asset is at the most efficient place to be able to make that happen for people. It's the foundational asset to make that dream a reality. And just, just embed that in your head. And if you're taking notes, that's, a, that's something to write down. And so when we talk about the financial freedom aspect, um, that's, just, that's just very, very key. And, and then, then it really hit me because Simon Sinek was just a, played a huge role in my life. And, and when we're talking about the people don't buy what you do, but they buy why you do it. And people don't even care how we do this like we care about the how like how the sausage is made because understanding the how makes us more better communicators um but at the end of the day our clients don't care what or how like we think they care like oh whole life they they guys they do not care they want the result they want as as my friend russ would say they want the hole in the in the um in the like what or they—they they want the result. What what he's saying is a lot of people sell the drill, and they're saying, "Oh, all these drills are all these great." What they ultimately want is the hole that the drill will provide. And and so if we can articulate people's why, if we can help them understand what that is, I would say that financial freedom is having enough passive income, having enough cash flow coming in to live the life, and ultimately finance your why or or be able to live that out and i just want i want that to be like the foundational thing that we talk about because nothing else matters like what does efficiency even mean if we don't know where we're going like you can be super efficient in something but at the end of the day what why like what's what's even the definition of efficiency and a lot of the examples that we use in the book um there needs to be an outcome in place and so the first thing is money Um, which has the ability to finance or why that's financial freedom and and let's really get that at the core because our clients and the people that we serve they're not financially free like they're not there there's no freedom there and by the way you guys the and asset is not a free ticket to make all their problems go away it's not but it's a a foundational asset that when we understand when we can give our clients an ability to take a dollar and give it more than one job protect their family give them the ability to control and grow and like it it, it it changes it changes the game and it, and it is it is the key and you're not going to see this language in the book but it's the key that unlocks this financial freedom and again it's it's one of the most uh, empowering things um how how many of you and you can share this in the chat how many of you guys um appreciated the wealth equation and Albert Einstein and and the the work there um i was working with a with a friend of mine who I remember when we were working on the project of the and asset he he called me and he's like Caleb I am so excited I am so excited uh, to share this with you because he's like Albert Einstein he was like talking about Albert Einstein and how he really struggled in school and how people thought he was crazy and all these things and and he's like getting all excited I'm like great great I'm glad that you're excited but what's the point like how does this impact the book like I know that Albert Einstein is quoted for saying it's the eighth one of the world. And then he told me the story. He's like, Caleb, do you know what MC squared stands for? And by the way, you guys, I had no idea because I didn't, I barely passed chemistry in college. And the only reason I passed, and some of you guys are like chemistry, this is actually physics. That's, that's how, like, that's how illiterate I am when it comes to science. And my dad's a PhD molecular biologist. Like, I'm not making my dad proud in this area of, of life. Okay. But i i when he was telling me i was like okay I, I remember learning this in school and to be honest i probably memorized some things for the test but e equals mc squared is, is some could say it's one of the most powerful you know wealth equations out there you know and I'm, i won't get into the the science there but he broke down he's like caleb you're all about efficiency from the moment this guy met me when we were talking about the andassa project he he kept on going back to like okay we're trying to sell life insurance i'm like no we're trying to help people be more efficient you're going to see a a major theme in this today, we're trying to help people be more efficient, ladies and gentlemen. And a lack of efficiency is the problem. Like a lot of people say, you need this thing, you need a better rate of return. You need people are not being efficient, and as a result, they're not able to have nearly the amount of powerful um, conversations and wealth and opportunities because of a lack of inefficiency. And so, efficiency comes down to where our money is doing two primary things. And when I was in Dallas, I shared this with you guys it's really when our money's doing two things, when we're able to control it and when we're able to compound it. If you take the 16 ideal benefits, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, you can take all the money principles and put them into two categories. What's the value of control in your life? What's the value of of your money growing the rest of your life? And the tax benefits and no fees and all those things go into the future value of our money growing. But there's other benefits of control and when i was thinking like oh efficiency the most efficient way is really to maximize the short term and long term if you guys remember my dilemma like the dilemma i had was in the short term what am i going to do in the long term what am i going to do and there's like this dilemma of the, the short term long term tug of war and like the epiphany was i don't need to choose anymore and again you guys are getting like the behind the scenes but at the end of the day efficient efficiency really is if we can maximize and M really stands for our money because if you don't have any money or matter, it you could have you could have three thousand percent compound growth and all the control you you want. And if you have zero money, um it's not gonna be so pretty. It's like we all can do that math equation. Zero times a thousand is zero. So the the having money is important and Obviously, efficiency provides that. But with that, what really takes it to the next level is compounding and control. All right, so the club versus swing, we, we're showing a picture of, of Tiger Woods because he's, he's a legend and, and just to honor his, his golf legacy. We'll, we'll see if he ever plays again uh, at a competitive level. But the club versus swing is, is just a classic example. I, I got this from a guy named Don Blanton. And, and I remember for the first time when I was in Orlando uh, learning from this guy and he just brought this example of club versus swing and what's more important, uh, the club or swing. And I, I I just, you know, I played golf lessons and I'm, a, I'm an okay golfer. Now I'm pretty not an okay golfer. And I was just like, golf is super hard. And yes, I don't have the best clubs, but at the end of the day, anyone that has played golf knows it has nothing to do with the club. Clubs, you, you want to have some decent, and at Tiger Woods level or Phil Mickelson's level the club is important but at the end of the day the swing is what what separates you and you realize that Wall Street and the banks and most marketing organizations and any like any other agency agency that tries to recruit you to sell their products are literally their whole pitch is the product and Mike I can't see your face but I like you lived in a world where it's like, sell our product because we do X, Y, Z, da 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 da. da, da, da. Or do this because da-da-da-da-da-da. And you know what? We fall into that trap, guys. Buy the end asset because it grows the rest of your life. dude du, 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 du. We're just we're we're literally in the business of saying, if you buy this golf club, you will uh, your life will be changed and you'll be the best golfer in the world. And we all know that that's crazy. Um I, I share another story, which is if I when I redo the book, I'm going to sh- include this story in and probably instead of Club Versus Swing. But I, I played ping pong competitively for about two years. Okay. Not super like it was, I was 12 years old. I played and I, you know, I loved it. But at the end of the day, you know, wasn't that great, but I played competitively. And I remember going to a tournament in Indiana. Okay. And I'm, I'm playing and I, I'm getting like sweaty just thinking about this because I'm it's, it's such a sad story. Um, And I'm playing this kid who's eight years old, eight, eight years old. I I said I was 12. I was probably 13. Okay. And this kid is short. Okay. He's, he's, he's a short little kid and I'm, I'm pretty small and I'm like a giant compared to this guy and he's really good. He trains in China and all this stuff. And so we're, we're duking it back and forth. And I had the upper hand and I remember he calling a timeout and his Mom and dad, his mom actually came in and tied his shoes. Now, that totally messed with my head because I'm like, okay, I'm competing with this kid who's like five years younger than me. He can't even tie his own shoes. And we're like, competitive. It was not, was not an ego booster at the moment. And um, I ended up losing that match. And I just remember thinking like, never did I, never did I like say that it was the paddle's fault. Yeah, he had a different paddle. I had I had a paddle we trained. It's like I missed shots and I it, I lost that game because of how I thought. And I, and I want that to sink in because when we talk about the and asset, we will lose all credibility when we talk about the product solving all your problems. It's kind of like saying if I had a different paddle I would win or if I had the best golf club I would be a better golfer. It's just it's just not true. And the reason I'm spending so much time on this is majority of people now that you're aware you're going to notice that everybody's talking about a product and everyone's product is the solution to all the all your all your problems and your sins it's like crazy it's like all in one and it's just it's just it just is not true and yet if we can focus on the swing in the process that's where we're going to help people and and my version of the swing is efficiency because if we can talk as it relates to efficiency we're, it's it's going to be a game changer all right, so um, so I don't drive a gas car. I, I drive a Tesla, but, but uh, so I promise you, uh, I, this still is a, a very good story to tell. Is one, one time I was back in Wisconsin. My first car was a, a um, Ford Fusion. My first car was a Geo Prism that barely worked, and I drove it into the ground, and then I, I got a car, and i noticed while car shopping when you go on the lot there's two types of stickers there's the sticker of highway gas mileage and then there's city gas mileage and i'm just i'm embedding this in your brain because when i got it i was like oh this is fascinating what what gets better gas mileage is do you get better gas mileage on the highway or do you get better gas mileage in the city now if you think about it it's like you would think that you would get better gas mileage in the city because you're not going as fast. And it's like you would think you would be more efficient. But ever, most cars are way more efficient on the highway, going 60, 70 miles an hour versus stopping and starting in the city. And, and notice my language, stopping and starting. What do you do in the city? You stop at, a, stop at a light, then you start back up. You like hit the gas, stop and start, stop and start. Think about what most people are doing with their money. Most people are trying to get from California to New York, and instead of hitting the highway, they're, they're hitting every back road in every city and stopping and starting. And stopping and starting could be an example of paying cash for a car. Stopping and starting could be an example of losing money to fees. Stopping and starting could be you know going all in on Bitcoin when you don't really understand it and losing your shirt stopping and starting could be super unclear on what you want what you want to accomplish stopping and starting like majority of inefficiencies is when we're stopping and starting with our with momentum and one of my favorite ways to think about the and asset is we can create a foundational asset that eliminates stopping and starting think about that like we can create a foundational asset that creates emotion from day one, it's again not this thing that will solve all your problems, but over your lifetime, there's a lot of inefficiencies. I'll just take I'll just take a person who's very entrepreneurial. Um, some of the people that we will struggle working with the most are very entrepreneurial people that want access to all their money. They're a pain in the butt, right? But they're but it's really fun to work with them because they they look at opportunities and they're saying, okay, why would I use the end asset when I could put my money in in just a savings account and I had access to more of their money? And they're they're right to a to a, a point. The thought is over the next 30, 40, 50 years, what is the what is the opportunity cost of their money of their money sitting still throughout deals in a savings account versus their money always in motion in their in their policy? And and it really depends on what, like in the short term, what they can do, but over time, life insurance really shines long term, especially if we factor in other things like taxes and other things. It's like long term, it's it like crushes a savings account. And so if you get that, are we willing to take a little bit of a haircut early on to build up? Like a lot of times when we see both of those things, like internal and external, it's like that's a no-brainer. And it's because of the efficiency of like now you're getting on the highway and you're going you're going full speed. But early on when you when you're when you're going from zero to sixty, you're burning a lot of gas. This, uh, Nelson Nash, in his book *Becoming Your Own Banker*, he talks about taking off in an airplane. And and for those of you that know the example, it's like you burn a lot of fuel getting up to to flying altitude. And when you're flying altitude, it's 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 efficient. Same thing goes with with when we think of the end asset. If we commit to a strategy like this, it is going to take it is going to take a commitment. But we have to think long term. And the the starting the gas mileage example is another example. If we think about it. Majority of people are stopping and starting. Um, I actually did a podcast um, on Warren Buffett on Monday, and how he's actually sitting on 145 billion dollars worth of cash. It's very interesting because it's like Warren knows knows a lot about money, but the fact that he's sitting on so much money tells tells you that there might be something that happens in the next year or two where liquidity is going to be important. And i i open up, I open up chapter 2 obviously with the importance of efficiency and giving an example of club versus swing and and the gas mileage but I also talk about Warren Buffett's two rules to investing and this is this is a something that does get overused in our industry but I think it's interesting it's like Warren Buffett's two rules to investing is number 1 never lose money and number 2 listen to rule number one and 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 guys again is life insurance the solution? Is it the it? Is it the thing that's going to be like solve all your problems? No, it's a foundation that you can back this up. Like anyone that does the and asset properly at the foundation, your foundation is not going to go backwards. And that may be valuable to some people. That may be less valuable to others. But we'll never have to f- apologize for the foundation of where our wealth is at. And just and yeah, I, I could talk about this a lot, but it's it's true. So. So when we talk about a wealth transfer, and, and I was asked the other day about, okay, Caleb, if you could teach someone anything about money and how you think, what would, what would it be? And it would be simply, I want people to understand the power of opportunity cost. I want people to understand the power of opportunity cost. And when I think of opportunity cost, I think of a short term and a long term. When I think of a wealth transfer, and I also learned this from Don Blanton, he was the one that pointed this out to me. When I think of a wealth transfer, I think of the initial dollar that's lost, okay so a wealth transfer if we're just just role playing here Mariah a wealth transfer is if I go and spend hundred dollars on anything unnecessary, I am transferring that hundred dollars away and I'm never gonna see that again that that's that's the wealth transfer and again we could you could be like, okay we could you know make fun of people like David Bach and all these people that are like don't buy lattes and all this stuff I think it I think They are in the scarcity minded like my I'm never going to go up and say the way to wealth is is not to buy a latte is like to make Folgers coffee. Okay, Uh, I'm not I'm never going to say that. But but what's interesting is they they talk about the latte effect and all that and they look at, you know, all this money that's being transferred. But then if you look out over your lifetime, what's what's the true cost of that? If you want to look like a genius to people that you serve, teach them this because they don't think about it. We don't have an understanding in our brains when it comes to money, the long-term consequences of our decisions today. My, my dad wrote the book, um, The Original Prescription. It was, it, it was one of his first books on health. Um, for those of you that don't know who my dad is, he, he's um, a molecular biologist, uh, PhD, and writes a lot about natural medicine and all this stuff. His first book was on um, health and just more of a holistic way to think about your, your life. And, and he just pretty much talks about this ripple effect on decisions you make today, not getting enough sleep, eating, and all this stuff. And I'm, again, I can't see Mike, but I, I know we're on the same wavelength here. Every decision you make today will, will have future ripple effects on you and your future kids, which is crazy. Um, and so he talks a lot about that, and it's like we just have a hard time grasping that. When it comes to our money, we have a hard time grasping, number one, the wealth transfer but more importantly, the, the opportunity cost of that. And, and this is one um, update I would make to my book. When I talk about opportunity costs, I would very much hone in and talk about the control and compounded value of our money. So giving up $100 today, you're not just giving up that $100, but you're giving up what that $100 could be worth if you could control that and if it could compound. Why can we say both? Because we have a solution to give dollars more than one job. And as a result, we can have that dialogue with people. And so one of the quotes that we took out from this book is anytime you lose a dollar, you don't just lose that dollar, but you lose what that dollar could have earned the rest of your life. Write that down, understand that, and teach people that because at the end of the day, the and asset is not the sexy solution, but it is that thing that allows us to maximize. Think about this, guys. Opportunity cost, you guys by watching me live have consequences and you're, able, you're not able to be with your kids, baseball game, you're not able to watch TV, you're not able to watch other people on YouTube, you're not able to meet with people. There's a cost to being on here. And so on a whole nother level, we could talk about being very careful with your time because it's the greatest asset and our money is just an extension of who we are. And again, just understanding that every decision we have have consequences. We're going to talk about average uh, versus actual And, and how many of you, like, this is a profound thing that you learned of like, okay, I get this, but like, this is when I tell people this, it's like, it's mind blowing. And I want to go back to just understanding where this all comes from, because we can teach you concepts, but in a vacuum, it's not very powerful. But remember, club versus swing, we're talking about process now. Remember, gas mileage, city versus highway. Remember, Warren Buffett, never lose a dollar. Remember, when you lose a dollar, what is the true effect of that? When you lose a dollar, you don't just lose that dollar, but you lose it, that dollar could have earned you the rest of your life. Like All this stuff is compounding. Okay, now average versus actual should make a lot of sense within that. We talk to people and, they, and we think they understand it, but a lot of times we need, it's like stemming. It's, 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 we have to draw it conclusions from bigger principles. And the average versus actual is just very simple um losses to your account affects you far greater than gains if you're not adding additional money what do I mean the only reason this is not true is if if you add another variable to the equation and you do what's called dollar cost averaging and like let's say the market drops and then you put a bunch of money in and buy at a discount obviously the, the average versus actual can then get thrown off but that's not really a fair equation because you can do that to any equation Like you could double down money on any strategy, and it would be good at certain times. But if you just have a a stagnant piece of money, and you lose, if you lose money, you need to earn more just to get back to where you were. And I would write that down. In most cases, again, if your money, if you're not adding money to this, this is 100% true. Anytime you lose money, you need to you need to gain. You need to have a better year or earn more just to get back to where you are. Another extreme example of this is, and I and I did this in Dallas. If you had a hundred dollars and you made a hundred percent of your money again, will this ever happen? Probably not. But it's just an extreme example. It's like the penny example. Your your hundred dollars now becomes two hundred. Now you lose fifty percent of it. Your two hundred dollars goes back down to a hundred. You average twenty five percent on your money. Because if we, if we take it, 50 percent divided by two is 25 percent. That's how you do averages. The actual rate of return is zero. A, an, another example of this is just to show different areas, like if you lose 12 percent, what you need. If you lose different 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 um, percentages. It's, it, it is pretty wild. again, why does this make sense? It's because when we lose money, we lose our our this is not really politically correct thing to say, but we lose the the servants lose our little workers that could be working for us. If we think of money like the richest man in Babylon, if we think of our money being, you know, our employees that are working for us, it, it changes the game. We talk about losses and fees and taxes. It's all guys, it's all the same thing. Now here's what's really cool is when we help people, when when we're positioning this with people, they have to see us as the efficiency, wealth efficiency like we all have to be about wealth efficiency. So anytime you lose money to losses, you're going to get crushed. <laughs> anytime you lose your money to fees, you're going to get crushed. Anytime you lose your money to taxes, you're going to get crushed. So if we can then be if we can help our clients pay less and less uh, money to taxes, what, what are we indirectly doing for them? especially if we understand the opportunity cost. If I help my client save $10,000 on taxes, I potentially, I'm putting hundreds of thousands of dollars back in that, that person's pocket the rest of their life. Taxes now and in the future. You see you see where all this stuff stems from. And so a lot of times we, we got to be careful. We can't give tax advice when we're working with, with someone. We can't, we can't give investment advice if we're not um, you know, licensed to do so. But well, we can start asking questions and we can start helping people understand that efficiency means everything, your whole picture. And if you're being inefficient in certain areas, it's it's an example of you having a bucket and having a bunch of holes in it. And you might be focused on trying to pour in more water, but at the end of the day, the holes are just gonna get larger and through inefficiencies, we're just not gonna have you might have more water if you just pour in a bunch of water, but it's gonna it's gonna diminish because of inefficiencies. And in the in chapter two, I talk a lot about losses and taxes and fees, and people that are critical of the book, they say, Caleb, you just go on and on and on, like we get the point. I do it because I'm not the brightest person, and I needed to hear it 10 times, because we will be so tempted to go back to the product. So many of you probably struggle, because you're like, I, it made so much sense when Caleb was talking, and then I go talk to people, and they're like, why would I care about whole life insurance? It has nothing to do with whole life insurance. Is everything to do with efficiency. Is everything to do with efficiency. The last thing that I wanna point out, and this is, this is really strategic because one of the things that we have through the and asset is we have the ability to utilize capital without hurting uninterrupted lifetime growth. We have the ability to use capital without hurting lifetime uninterrupted growth. And, and this is something I can't take credit for, but this concept of we finance everything that we purchase. In a later section, we're going to talk about a debtor. We're going to talk about maximizer. We're going to talk about um, um, a um, debtor saver and maximizer. and Talk about this concept. Every time you lose a dollar, you don't just lose that dollar, but you lose what that dollar could have earned you the rest of your life. Notice, it doesn't matter if I lose that money being super generous and paying for Mariah's lunch, or if I lose it to taxes, or I lose it to fees. Or if I lose it because I overspend on things. It's it's a principle. It does not like lost opportunity cost does not care about what we spend our money on. An example that I give in the book is this car, it's actually this is not the, the car I bought, but it's the exact color and exact year. So two thousand eleven Ford Fusion got it for about ten thousand dollars and I was um all about Dave Ramsey. And of course I didn't want to pay interest because why would I pay interest for my own money? Like I like, I had the cash, so why wouldn't I pay cash for it? So I paid cash for it. It was all great. And I started learning this concept of we finance everything that we purchase. Being like a devout Dave Ramsey, you have to understand that this offended me. So I'm like, I, that's not true. I don't finance everything that I purchase. Like I paid cash. And then someone pointed out to me, yes, Caleb, you paid cash, but you, now you have, you have that money no longer in your control, and it's never able to grow for you ever again. Do the math on that do what's 50 years of not compounding your money. It's more than $10,000. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so again, there's, there's no such thing as a free lunch. That's what this slide should be. There's no such thing as a free lunch. This is important because it makes us better. And again, Debbie and I had a really good conversation in Dallas about this. It's we can focus on saving interest And that's not bad like we have to but we have to to understand efficiency we have to take a step back and say there's a cost to everything that we do and the only way to do this is to factor in what does control what what do we value in control and what do we value in long-term growth and if we understand those two things you can make every decision like every decision becomes crystal clear if you can measure those two things and by the way you can't because there's no way we know what the value of control is there's no way we know what the true value of compounding is So it's impossible to know exactly what's going on because we don't know what tomorrow brings. But I want to create the most efficient strategy that gives me the most amount of options, that gives me the least amount of ways to fail. What we're essentially doing is try to create the most amount of certainty for our clients. And so again, this is key because this is a conversational conversation builder. This whole whole first three chapters open up the door. Like every one of these slides you start talking to people about, they're like, wow, you taught me something about average versus actual. Never thought of that. We finance everything that we purchase. I, I understand that. Like people won't understand when you say we finance everything that we purchase. You just say that, no one's going to understand. When you show them, like when you walk it through, they're going to tie every other money decision back to you because you were the one that showed them something super profound. The club versus swing, you guys can make fun of me about ping pong. Okay. Now we're going to talk about When we talk about efficiency, like we got the principles in place. And what I tried to do in this book is I tried to like give the principles. Then I also tried to give you like be really practical. I hope you guys appreciated this. Just so you know, when I work with people with money and when we start talking about where they should put their money, I want them to start analyzing what certain benefits, like not everyone benefits safety the same way. You meet with someone who's 70 years old and they've worked so hard for their money, they may value safety of their money a little bit more than I do. They might. Some people value liquidity. Like I value liquidity a ton. I was just having a conversation, a coffee this afternoon. I I put a value on liquidity greater than I think most people. For instance, I feel like I can make way greater rates of return in my business and take other risks If I have money liquid, just sitting at, you know, one to 2%, because I know that that's like my emergency fund if something hits the fan. But because I have that, I'm able to show up powerfully and say yes to things. Liquidity is really important to me. You're going to meet people that it's not. Growth. What does growth mean? Like our money multiplies. The importance of leverage. How important is leverage to you? Like being able to use leverage as it relates to your money. The point is, when we're sitting across the table or virtually with somebody, and, and this is not a meeting number 1 but when we're talking about where they put their money at the end of the day we want to be efficient and all these things but we all we want them to start highlighting the areas that they that they appreciate like that they most admire so one of the ways that you could do in a meeting is you could give someone a list of this and say what are your top 3 three benefits that you want and why you'll you'll get to know a ton about their value system or if you had to if you have to number this one to sixteen, that might be intimidating for people. But like tell me what's the most important thing, what's the least important thing? And just start getting people to think about this. The reason I put this list, you guys, is I got so frustrated that the world of money was all about rate of return. Everyone just had one metric. It was like, if your eight percent is better than my seven, you're good and that person's not good. It's like, is that a seven percent tax free or is that eight percent Biden tax rate? Is it, I would take the seven percent tax free all day long. Do you understand that one question changed the game, or is that seven percent protected by creditors, or is it not? You guys might not care about creditor creditor protection, but I just talked to a person who's very wealthy. Number one thing on their list is if I get sued, can people come after my money? So let's stop assuming what people want, and let's start start understanding like why they want these things because people don't know about. Like they, they're not going to come to us and say, I want an overfunded life insurance. I want you to do the PUA this way and do a term rider. And yada." They don't know how to ask for that. They might be able to ask for, they might be able to tell you what they want. And as a result, it becomes super crystal clear. Like, oh, this is the best place to put your money. And I want to be very frank. One of the reasons we do this is to condition people, is to set up where, where life insurance is powerful long-term. Because at the end of the day, when life insurance is set up and used properly, it checks majority of these boxes and it checks them powerfully. And you guys saw when I was in Dallas, walking you through all the, when we start comparing the and asset to other things, like it's hard to compete. We only appreciate it if we go through these ahead of time. So in the book, I don't know if I had to, if I rewrote the book, if I would include this list again, I might shorten it. But at the end of the day, I did so because I wanted people to understand that growth is important, but it's not the only thing. Okay. One of the, one of the things that I, um, you, you guys know my obsession about leverage, uh, value leveraging. I love it. I think it's like the one two punch to create wealth, create value in the world, and then maximize that. But what, what I loved is when I was going through this, I was like, man, I was obsessed about the word maximize like way, like way before it registered. Like this is you know, a while ago. And I remember when I would talk to clients, I I kept on talking about the word maximize because I I am very passionate about helping you maximize the efficiency of your wealth. Now, if I had to reword this, I would use the word optimize instead of maximize, because the the definition of optimization is taking what you're currently doing and making it better, and it's having the end in mind. Maximize, you could like maximize something and by maximizing it, it could be the wrong thing. Like It's hard when you optimize something. The assumption made in optimization is that the output is is being improved at a at a quicker time. Like one of the definitions of efficiency, because efficiency and optimization are very similar, one of the, the definitions of efficiency is is cutting out waste and getting to the same output. I think of optimization the same same way, but I just got really passionate about maximize. And what was interesting is when I was rereading section one, I was like, maximize One of the definitions for leverage is is to maximize something and it's like man like what we are essentially trying to do is we're trying to optimize efficiency we're trying to leverage efficiency we're trying to maximize efficiency when people come work with you what is the result they're getting when people come and work with you what is the result they're getting i hope you're helping them maximize the the efficiency of their life if you're able to do that you will have a line outside the door you're able to communicate to the people that you serve that we are in the business of helping you be more efficient, i.e. you're telling me you want X, Y, and Z, and I'm helping you get there better. I don't, I mean, it, it becomes really fun really quick. It, this example is, is something that when I first started, I would end all my talks with. And it's this example of summarizing the whole, the whole picture is I, I find that a lot of people, you know, might know where they wanna go, especially if they meet with me, we spend a lot of time on the why. Why is this important? Like, let's get crystal so clear on, on your ROR statement. So they know where they wanna go. That's half the battle. A lot, of, a lot of our clients and the people that we serve don't know that. And it's so valuable if we could just, if we could be the person tied, to helping them have an epiphany about their life, they're going to have a whole new appreciation for us that is just incredible. So knowing the destination is super important. You can't be efficient if you don't know where you're going. You can't help someone optimize if you, if you don't know where you're going. You, it's impossible because part of the definition of efficiency and optimization is having the end in mind. You got to be efficient towards something. The, another example of people being inefficient is people might know where they want to go, but the way that they're handling their money they are literally someone that has one foot on the gas and one foot at the brake at the same time. There was one time when I started driving that I did this because I was new and it was the worst feeling. like it was it was a horrible feeling. For those of you that have kids that are driving or have experienced it, it's just it's just not natural and it's a horrible thing. That's why we're taught to drive with one foot. Um, and there's always that one person that drives with two feet. I actually know somebody that drives with two feet and it's just crazy and it's like okay obviously that's not a good way to get place quickly It's like you're you're going all in on the gas and you're also burning out your brakes but you realize guys majority of people as it relates to their money have their foot on the brake and what does wall street tell them to do oh take a higher rate of return take more risk focus on this shiny object focus on this shiny object because guess what The only way i get paid is if you invest your money in x y and z product or if you buy life insurance from me or if you buy an annuity from me you buy this product from me the last i checked we're not really incentivized to help people be more efficient with their money so if you want to play long term and make more money than you've ever made don't focus on the thing that makes you money focus on helping people take their foot off the brake and as a result it's going to help them be more efficient which oh by the way they'll have more money to do more things and you'll make more money in the long term. Another, another example that people say, like when people realize how we structure life insurance, like, man, you don't make a ton of money when you structure this stuff. And my answer is always the same. Like, yes. And it's the most selfish thing that we can do because by, by being one of the only people that does this thing, right, everybody wants to work with us. They put more money in it than they're putting in with you and they're referring all their friends. Why? Because we're the only person that is showing them how to be more efficient. And as it relates to the and asset, and this is going to be in the next section, we're the only person, we're the only people that are showing them how to do this right. And I'm, I'm telling you, like, it's, it's, it's an unfair advantage, but here's the epiphany. And I want you guys all to write this down. Let's not focus on the and asset on meeting one. Let's help people get their foot off the brake. And as a result, it's going to open up so many doors because you got to put your money somewhere. Your money's got to reside somewhere and we may know some places for them to have efficiencies as it as it relates to where their money resides three things to consider as it relates to to as it relates to your home number 1 how to minimize losses this is the wealth transfer number one obviously if i can show you how to save money immediately that's that's interesting cuz we know what that's going to be how to maximize future the opportunity costs and and how to have more security i e when I was writing this chapter, I was thinking, what are the three things that people care about when it when it comes to their mortgage? Like these are the three things that are like if you guys are familiar with Russell Brunson, he talks about if you could have a domino knock over, what would that one domino be that everything else will be will be great, right? I, I'm like, okay, these are the three dominoes that if i could if I could knock these three things over, it would be like you you'll go anywhere with me and And it really comes down to to at its most extreme and i I want i want this to to make sense at its most extreme if you pay cash for something or finance it at 30 year i'm i'm i go to most extreme because at the end of the day if you're at a 30 year and you go to a 15 you're what you're essentially saying is i'm going to pay off my house quicker which which you're you're saying if i had the cash i would pay cash off so anyone that's making extra payments to their mortgage what, what they're saying is if they had the cash, they would pay off their mortgage all in one swoop. If they're not, they're not really being intentional because if they're like, no, I'm not gonna do that, but I'm just gonna throw a little bit of extra money, they're just not being intentional. But the people that are teaching like you like, pay off your mortgage in seven years or whatever, what they're saying is if you had the money, you'd pay it all off at once because why pay any interest, okay? And so the example that I have in the book is I'm using 30 year versus pay cash. But this is the same idea as if you're trying to pay off your house in ten years or fifteen years or whatever. It's the principles. I also want to say this, and i I say this on page twenty two where if if the scenarios I, I take a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, I wrote this in Wisconsin, by the way. I'm like, you can't buy a dump for two fifty out in Denver, but if a two two hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, If you can pay it with cash you have it so you have that in cash again people don't have that i understand i'm just giving you the scenario and you can earn over 30 years four percent and you can also access oh sorry so you the loan is four percent and you can invest at four percent over 30 years again this is in a bubble it's never going to happen never going to happen rates right now are less than four percent for a lot of people and majority of people over 30 years can probably earn more than 4%. If if all four of these scenarios are the same, meaning you have $250,000 in cash that's earning 4%, if the price of the house is $250,000, and we're not talking anything about external rate of return, nothing, just these are the four scenarios, it does not matter how you pay for it. When it comes to math, they're both the same. The person that does a 30-year mortgage and the person that pays cash and invests the difference is exactly the same over 30 years. Again, we can again I'm like tempted to say, well, but person A who pays cash and then gets disabled, but we're not going to assume that because this is this is a a perfect scenario. The reason I'm reason I'm putting that is math is math. And at the end of the day, if you can earn for and you're paying for, the same, the same scenarios are the same over 30 years. Again, no one ever does this, but I want to point that out because uh, we can get criticized for saying, "Yeah, you're just you're making examples that highlight why you should do this stuff." And I just I want to open this up by saying it really doesn't matter. But when we talk about efficiency, when we talk about optimization, it, it 100% matters. Okay. So here here are the factors: the payments, the tax benefits, the house value, inflation, the earning versus paying interest, the opportunity costs, and security. Those are like the all the element yeah, you want to hit the next slide. These are the all the the areas that that when we're talking about the house, we can have a conversation about. And um at the end of the day, the payment the payment is something that you we could we could talk about. Um and it's it's it is what it is. It's like you're you're looking you're looking at the payment. The idea behind this is like you're either paying it to the bank or you're paid cash and this money is transferred into an investment we talk about tax benefits again this is more universal is there any tax benefits for paying your house off all at once could there be some tax benefits in using a mortgage i know some people have certain depending on what state how expensive their house is in most cases there's there could be if there's any tax benefits, it favors the person that has the mortgage versus none. Okay, that's just one one example. So if I had to say the tax benefits go to one side, I would say that the tax benefits. I wouldn't make a decision off a of tax benefit. That's one thing I agree with Robert Kiyosaki, like never make a decision based on a, a tax benefit. Don't let the tax um, tail wag, wag the dog kind of deal. But the tax benefits lean in favor of pay, financing. If it, if it was an advantage. Your house value, a, a, a lot of people get, get, it's crazy to me. It's like, okay, they're like, yeah, I wanna pay for my house in cash because the house is my greatest asset and it goes up. Your house value will go up or go down. It does not matter how you pay for it. Like the way that you pay for your house is not correlated at all because the house value is what the market says your house is worth. It doesn't matter if you're paying interest only, it, it doesn't matter if you paid for it in cash. The house value goes up and down. So if if we think about this, would you rather have all your money in in an asset that goes up or down, or if that asset could go up or down and that money could do something else, it would that be benefit beneficial? It it depends on how valuable you can do over the next thirty years with this money. In inflation, how many of you guys enjoyed the inflation section of this? It's, it's like crazy. I, I look at uh, a payment of $1,189 at a 2% inflation rate. 15 years from now, you're paying that, but it only, it only feels like $883. Over 30 years, the last payment that you make, you're making 11, 11, $1,189 uh, $1, payment, but it feels like $656. A mortgage, what, what we're allowing you to do is we're allowing you to have inflation work for you. Inflation works against you if, if all your money's in your house, because at the end of the day, you don't get that. like You paid all that money when, when the, your dollars are the most valuable. So I think the epiphany that I had is like, oh, a mortgage is a tool that allows you to pay the same payment with deflated dollars. I, um, just some perspective, JG, who I dedicated this book to, He or I acknowledge this. This him, he was the CEO of Community First Bank and like a second father to me. He said, They all community, most banks sell off their 30 year mortgages to like Freddie May or, or like they they transfer that risk because no bank in their right mind would hold on to a 30 year note. He literally, this guy, JG, says a 30 year mortgage is bad for banks. The only reason it, it happens is because of government regulation. Nobody in their right mind would take a thirty-year note at two percent, no upside, or three percent. That's why banks don't hold on to that money; like they sell it. Like banks sell those notes because they don't want that risk. If we think about that, it's like think about like if banks can't hold that risk, that that might be good for a consumer. Again, um, I have way too much fun with this. Um, so, earning interest versus versus paying interest. This one is by far the most. Controversial because it's I'm I'm giving you a half truth, but I'm pretty much saying okay if you had two hundred fifty thousand dollars, amortized over thirty years, the interest that you're transferring to the bank is one hundred seventy eight thousand and forty dollars. Meaning yes, a lot of that interest goes up front, but over time amortized that four percent is it's it's decreasing on the principal. So, the thirtieth year, your four percent on a very small amount. Versus that $250,000 is compounding every year that 4% is greater. And I give an example of this on page 25. Again, not apples to apples because I'm not comparing an opportunity cost. But I want people to start thinking, yes, 4%, we say 4%, oh, you hate to pay 4% to the bank. Yes, you're taking a $240,000 home and you're almost paying for it twice. But yeah, but if you put two hundred forty. dollars $250,000 just in an account earning 4%, you would earn $578,000 worth of interest. So, again, this is a half truth, but would you guys pay $178,000 to earn $578,000? It's again, what the point that I'm trying to do is like, yes, paying interest is not ideal. It it depends on what we're comparing it to. Opportunity costs. Ever heard of opportunity cost? <laughs> Um, opportunity cost is, is an amazing thing. And it's, it's essentially saying every, every decision we, we have has consequences. And my point is I'm using the 4% as a baseline. I'm saying over the next 30 years, you're only going to earn 4%. And my question to the clients are, is it possible that you could earn more than 4%? Because if it is possible that you can earn more than 4%, then you'd be better off putting your money into that thing than, than paying off debt. And I'll reverse that. If you only can earn three percent, pay off your mortgage, because why would you take money when you could be paying off at four and put it into a three percent opportunity? But we have to remember it's over thirty years. And so again, I just um, something to think about. And then security, and this is where i this is where I hone in. I, I just really encourage you guys to understand this chapter because i just walk through you know that why you're more secure and have more control when you're when you're doing a 30 year mortgage in my humble opinion there's i don't think there's any scenario where having a paid off house versus having the cash you're better off even if you have a paid off house and you something happens to you what's more valuable not having a house payment or having money because if you have money and something happens to you you could pay that house for the next 20 30 years and you might also be able to have money to do other things. So it's just, it's just what we value. So again, um, I'm, I'm weird. But when it comes to just deciding on a mortgage, a lot of people just look at interest, which is fine. But you understand, you guys, that that's not the right way to make the decision. We have to look at everything. And, and at the end of the day, here's, where, here's the trump card. What's the value of someone's health? If, if someone comes to me and says, Caleb, I, and we have clients like this, Caleb, I understand chapter three. I understand it. And I sleep better at night paying off my mortgage. I don't think they're dumb. They, as long as they understand, it's like, okay, let's pay off your mortgage because sleep is far more important. Like sleeping well is a really good thing. So again, there's no trump card that we hold, but I want us to be Well, I want us to understand this stuff because a lot of people sleep well because they actually think what they're doing is more responsible and it's not. So how's that for training number one, you guys? Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.